Here's what you need to know as we continue our story today. Last week we saw how the people of Israel rejected Yahweh as their king, asking for a human king instead. God granted their request in the form of a man named Saul. The prophet Samuel anointed Saul as king around 1050 BC and his reign would last for 40 years. But Saul did not follow the commands of God, so God rejected him as king. About 25 years into Saul's reign, God sent Samuel to the village of Bethlehem to anoint a new king, one who would not repeat Saul's mistakes, one who would seek to follow God's instruction, a man after God's own heart. So the people of Israel say to Samuel, we want a king. We want someone who will go out before us, someone who will provide for us um, the things that we need, the things that we want, the things that we desire. And the truth is, Samuel, um, you really have done a good job yourself, but we don't trust your children because you're a bad parent. That's kind of what, what they say. Um, and uh, we, we want a king. And so Samuel goes to God. God says he, they can have one. And I always ask myself, why would they reject God as king? Because God makes that statement very, very clear. You, you've not rejected they have not rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. And I, I always wonder, like, why would, why would anyone trade God for Saul? And then I realize um, there is something that is kind of very innate within every single one of us. I, I love talking to and, and talking about particularly issues of faith with children because they don't just provide cute little snippets. But what they do is when they're speaking, they begin to describe what's happening in my own heart and in my own mind. Story of a, of a little boy absolutely scared to death going to bed alone by himself in the dark so far, like two rooms far from his parents. And so he says to them, I just, I'm scared. I just, I, can, can, I, can I sleep with you? And like, no, you're not sleeping with us. Go back to your room. But I'm scared. I'm scared of the dark. I don't know what's out there. I need you. And the parents said, well, church-going folks like they are, you need to just remember that God is with you. You need to remember that God loves you. You need to remember that even though it's dark, that God is there. And not only does he love you, but he's strong and powerful. He is mighty. And so when you go back, you need to remember as you're lying in bed and as the fear begins to come, what you need to remember is that God is there with you. And that will bring you peace. It sounds great in the daytime. Little boy goes back to his room that night begins to hear noises and not see as well as he could. And all of these things, the darkness creeping in around him, and he starts to panic. He starts to become terribly afraid. But he knows, because he's gone to church too, he knows that what he needs to do is remember that God is there and remember that God loves him and remember that God is strong and remember that God will protect him. And he just needs to have faith and he just needs to sit there, suck it up, and find peace. So the next day, mom and dad say, well, how did it go? And he said, I laid there terrified all night long. Probably wasn't all night, but I laid there terrified all night long. And they said, but didn't you remember? Didn't you remember that, that God is there and that God is, loves you and that God is strong and that God will protect you? He said, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I believed all that stuff, but sometimes when you're a kid, you just need someone with skin on. That's kind of what Israel was saying. Sometimes when you're a kid, you just need someone with skin on. Like, I get that Jesus is my king. 
Like, I believe that. I don't doubt that. I believe that God is the only good king. But sometimes when I'm a child and I'm afraid and I'm watching the news or I'm afraid and I'm watching my retirement plan or I'm afraid and I'm watching kind of the world like spin out of control, I need someone with skin on. And that's a natural response, actually. Now, I I do need to ask, is it a natural response before the fall or after the fall? Because, again, it's a childish statement, childlike statement, a childish, childish and childlike statement. Sometimes I need someone with skin on. I get it. I totally get it. It just doesn't make God any less. And the truth is, in the light of day, what you'll quickly find out is the one that you thought could protect you maybe can't. Have you noticed nowadays that there are movies that are coming out about superheroes almost every other day? Like it seems like every comic book hero, everyone that we've ever talked about back, especially when I was a kid, um, all of a sudden now all of these things are coming true. And, And I wondered, why is it? What is this obsession that we have as a culture with all of these things? My first response was this. Well, we live in such a technologically advanced and with all of the, the, the special effects that can happen nowadays. Um, how many of you actually remember uh, what I would consider to be the very first Superman with Christopher Reeve, you know, kind of pretending to fly like this across the screen, you know? Um, it just looked terrible. Like the special effects were embarrassing, you know? You might as well just go back to those Batman days, bam, kapow. I mean, it was not much better. And so part of me says, well, the reason why is you can just do so much nowadays with this technology that we're able to kind of relive these fantasies of these real superheroes who can protect us against the worst kind of enemies and the worst kinds of evil. So we might say it's a technological issue, but I have to also believe that someone will write years in the future some PhD dissertation about how it was also a cry from a generation that needed a hero. I just need, I need to believe, even if it's just for one hour, okay, four hours and 27 minutes in a movie theater, some of them are crazy long, but I just need to believe that somewhere out there, there is someone who is kind of like this, and even if it's just a reprieve, There is just so much craziness in my life and there are so many people that I have put my hope in, that I have put my faith in, that I have put my trust in who've completely failed me. People who told me that they would be there but now actually he's there but he lives with somebody else, not my mom anymore and he's so far away. I know he's kind of there but I need someone closer with skin on. That's what I need. I just can't... I just can't deny that there is just so much brokenness that exists in me and in us that that has to be part of the equation. I just have to believe that there is a superhero out there. And that's probably why we we want our, um, our athletes to be superheroes. It also explains why I've noticed that then everything just becomes heroic. Uh, Instead of, these are these great heroic things and we have people that have just done the most amazing thing. Now all you need to do is come into a total perfect understanding of who you really are and then be bold with it, whether it's God's design or not, and that is heroic. We'll just do anything to find a hero. And I don't know if, it's a younger audience than first service, but I, I don't know if you've been there yet But do you remember the day when you realized that mom and dad can't fix all of your problems? I do. I was 37 years old, and all of a sudden I realized (laughs) my mom and dad can't fix this one. 
Do you remember the day when you looked at your parents and you realized just how broken they were? You still loved them. It, it, it hurt. It was a strange ache that existed inside of you. I mean, I promise you, you're, what, what's going to happen to many of you who are in college right now is that you are going to um, experience some things. If you really pursue Jesus this semester, we see this happen every year. You will pursue Jesus, and then you'll begin to realize, wow, like, although my mom and dad, I think, follow Jesus, and although my mom and dad, I think, are followers of Jesus Christ, um, they're not, as, uh, they're not as, as, as in love with Jesus as I am. And I'll say two things. Number one, give your parents a bit of a break. Okay, like they, they haven't been to a first year of college like you've been where you figured everything out, okay? And the second thing I want to tell you, though, and I mean this, I, I say this to my own boys, hold your parents responsible. Give them peace, give them a break, give them patience, and then hold them accountable. I, I remember looking at those that were like spiritual heroes of mine and beginning to realize, wow, there's a lot of kryptonite in their lives. There's a lot of weaknesses that exist. So what do I do? I thought I needed a king, and then I got Saul. Saul. Right? What's going on with that? Here's what's going on. We are, by nature, broken nature. We are looking for a hero, and then there's no way to stop it. We are deeply disappointed when we find that our heroes are less like gods and more like us than we ever realized. So now what do we do? Get medicated? Try to escape? I mean, honestly, there's lots of things that we do. We escape, we deny, we try to fill it with other things. Well, what we are going to see today, and we're going to walk through the life of David, and so I'm not going to be reading huge sections of scripture, but I do want to give you chapters so you can go back and look at. Saul, uh, uh, Scott is right. There is a lot of information about the life of King David, probably more than anybody else in the Bible. There's so much written about him. Um, that we can learn a lot about him. But again, I'm not asking you to learn these stories about David so that you can then try to act him out in real life. We're going to peer into the life of David so that we can see both victory and defeat and then not ask ourselves, how can we be more like David? But what does David have that God loved? What did David do that God honored? What did David do that God rebuked? And then we live like that. See, this is the difference. See, looking at the Bible and beginning to realize, wow, all of these heroes are broken too. Like, even the biblical heroes are broken. Well, except for one. And that's one of the problems. I'm not asking you to be like David. You don't have to, you don't have to try to be like David at all. Be like the God that appointed David. So God rejects Saul in a, in a nutshell because what Saul cannot do is that he cannot honor and respect God when he speaks. God asks Saul to do something. Saul, when you go in and you deal with the Amalekites, I want you to just get rid of everything. Don't keep anything for yourself. Don't keep anything for your men. They are a sinful people. I am judging them, and I need you to do this. And Saul, in real time, gets in the middle of it and goes, you know, I got a better idea. Like, I know what God said, but you know what? I've been really thinking about this. And I, you know, I haven't really talked to God about it, but I've got a better idea. And, and God really, I mean, I think he'll go along with this. But be careful of that. I know what God said, but now in the middle of this, what I think God would say is, just be careful with that. So he, in numerous times, for the best of reasons in his own mind, 
Saul decides he's going to do his own thing, and I'm not going to trust in God's timing. I'm not going to trust in God's plan. I'm not going to try to trust in God's protection. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to obey what God says. I'm going to just follow my heart, one of the most dangerous and foolish things anyone can ever do. You remember what the Bible says about your heart, right? That it is deceitfully wicked and should not be trusted. That's what the Bible says about our hearts. That this is what happens when we're broken. This is where it is easy for us to be led down the wrong path. And we need God to be the one who steps in at that moment and he actually gives us not a heart that is foolish and not a heart that can be deceived, but a heart for him. That's what God is in the business of doing. And he gives us a king with that heart. So the first thing that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, turn there, 1 Samuel chapter 16, what we actually see is that God says, what I actually need is someone after my own heart. So you notice on the, on the, the timeline, Samuel, who is still the kind of the last judge, maybe one of the first prophets, he's kind of doing both, both, uh, both responsibilities. He goes to the city of, are you ready for this? I saw it already starting to be set up in Hobby Lobby this week. Bethlehem, okay? Like you're gonna start hearing about Bethlehem starting today. And I think the Christmas trees go up next week, I think is when they go up. Last week, like here, like we have some in our building already. Oh, next week, okay, no, I just, I love, I love Jesus, Christmas is a complicated time. Um, but here's what I want to say to you, so he goes to Bethlehem, can you hear that, New Testament people? He goes to Bethlehem, and he finds in Bethlehem the family that he's supposed to find, the son of Jesse, and he sees the son of Jesse, and he's big and strong, and goes, yeah, this has got to be the one, nope, 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 well, all these big, strong, outward appearances, he's got to be the king, it's not, God says, you have this tendency, Samuel, and you're, all your friends, you have this tendency to look at outward appearance, like, I know what you're saying, no, 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 I just want a great girl with a great personality, no, we all look at the outward appearance, and it gets us into trouble. Because we don't know how, we don't know how to discern. We, 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 are, we are deceived. And so what, what, what God says to Samuel is not follow your heart, but anoint, anoint David king. He clearly says it. This is the one. Even though he doesn't look like it, this is the one. Because what he has is something that none of his brothers have. And that is a heart for me. And you can actually see that in verse 7. God points out to Samuel the danger of looking and planning from outward appearance. God says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, Yahweh, looks at the heart or looks on the heart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be someone after God's heart? That's what we're going to be looking at today in the life of David. What does that actually, what does it actually mean? Does that mean like he, he reads the Bible a lot? Does that mean that he goes to church a lot or back then goes to the temple a lot? Does that mean that like he never says a bad word? Does that mean that he never does a bad thing? Like what does it mean to have a heart after God? And, and one of the problems that you and I have is that we wrestle with this, quote unquote, in real time. See, where I get into trouble is not usually on Sunday when I'm hearing about the word of God or I'm singing praise to God. But it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when I come back in the real world and in real time and circumstances come and now all of a sudden I don't know what to do. Like I thought I knew what to do. When I was sitting in a pew, this made total sense. But now that I'm actually at the intersection of Hall of Fame and Washington, it's a little more complicated. 
Now that I'm back in my sorority, it's a little more complicated. Now that I'm actually back in the classroom, it's a little more complicated. Now that I'm back at work and she is sitting across from me and I find my heart strangely warmed, now it's complicated. Real time. And what we're actually going to see in the life of King David is someone who has the heart of God Not that God says, okay, and so when this happens, do this. And when this happens, do this. Okay, I got it. And when this happens, do this. And when this happens, do this. No. Like David is, as he is going through life, like as you and I go through life, he is looking at the circumstances that he is in, and he is recognizing and responding to what he already knows about God, to what he already knows about God's plan. He is, in that sense, being led along. And so often we think, well, the reason why I made that mistake was because I had no idea what to do in that situation. If you told me what to do in that situation, I would have done it. No, not the case. Not the case. It's to know the heart of God so that when we get in those circumstances that are above our pay grade, that are too deep for us or too wide for us or too tempting for us, we have something that actually centers us. Scott used this phrase in our communion time to, to calibrate our hearts to, to, to redirect our hearts toward God instead of those things that can, by the way, destroy us. The first thing that we actually see in terms of the heart of God, we find in the great story of David, right, which is him killing who? Goliath, right? He kills Goliath. And so this is one of the great famous stories of the Bible. It's actually found in the next chapter. So turn now, just one chapter over, 1 Samuel 17, which then points this out, which you may not have known. Some of you are going to go, wow, I never actually put that together. Um, I always heard the Bible stories in, in when I was a kid growing up, in, in the Bible, and I'm so grateful for all my Sunday school teachers, but they kind of told me them, and they're all over the place. Today we're in Daniel, tomorrow we're back doing an ark thing, and next day we're flannel-graphing Jesus and the disciples on the high side of a hill. And So we're moving around the Bible so much that we don't understand like there's a progression, and here's the progression. 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed. 1 Samuel 17, he kills Goliath. So when, when David, who's still just a shepherd, walks onto the battlefield, he is the anointed king of Israel, right? Like these armies are not under his direction, but in some sense, they're his armies. Like that enemy over there, like he might not be like the king right now, but in not too distant future, don't know when that's going to be, David's thinking, that's my enemy over there, and that's the enemy of my people. And David walks into a situation like that, and I know, and I'm not here to tell you that you can kill your giants by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you just need to believe that you can knock down your giant. Nope. That's not what I'm going to say. What I'm actually going to point at is what I believe the ultimate purpose of 1 Samuel 17 is all about, which is this, is that God sees in David someone who will defend his honor, someone who defends Yahweh's honor. That's what's at stake. So often, Goliath is painted as just a bad man, just this terrible person, a warrior. Well, David's a warrior. What is it that Goliath doing that is so bad? And here's what he's doing that we don't understand. Not only did, did armies and did leaders within that army, not only did they represent the king and the nation, but they were actually representatives of their god or gods. And so the biggest armies obviously had the strongest what? Gods. And there is Goliath, all nine feet, six inches tall of him, and he is standing there, a mighty warrior, a representative of Dagon, the king of the, or the god of the, the Philistines, and he is standing there mocking the Israelites. 
Come on, who's gonna, who wants to fight me? And he's doing this day after day after day. And all of a sudden, David walks onto the scene. And what he sees is the armies of the living God. Just read in that 1 Samuel 17 text the number of times. The armies of the living God living in fear. As this Goliath of a man taunts and mocks them. What do you have that could knock me down? You send your warrior. Why should we fight? You send warrior, your warrior. I'll be our warrior. Whoever wins, wins. And David walks into that scene. And what you see is not, come on, guys, this is for our kids. Freedom. No, you don't get any of that. There's no appeal to any of that. What we actually see in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26, what we actually see is David's... um, Like David's nerve getting up, David being deeply offended, like I I know that we live in a time, strangely enough, we live in a time where we are more offended by more people doing more things or not doing things. We are just, I'm so offended, right? All the time. We're so offended. And I'm asking you this question, like when was the last time you were deeply offended like by the way people act about God or talk about God? Have you ever been offended that somebody doesn't worship God? Has that ever just offended you? Someone dared not worship the king of the universe? No, that's their right. Now, now, by the way, don't read into that when I say offended that we're supposed to go fight everybody. That's not what I'm saying. No, I'm not saying we're supposed to go fight. I'm just asking, have you ever been offended? Have you ever been offended when God's name is used improperly around you? Have you ever been offended when somebody stands up and actually says something about God that isn't true? And by the way, I'm talking like, you know, in church circles. No, they're allowed to say that. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's in our constitution. Okay, that's not, you can't talk like that. And David walks onto the scene, and this is what he says in verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised, that's a very strong term for a Jewish person, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It's not, hey guys, he's gonna come steal our corn. It's, hey guys, this guy is, is opposing God. Who's gonna stand up and defend him? And his brothers went, like, I'm not. My heart's not there. King Saul's like, I don't know what. I mean, what do you want us to do, David? S- something. Stand up. And so David says, I will stand up. This is a critical component within the story of King David. He stands up. He says, I'm going to confront this. I'm going to deal with this. And interestingly enough, he doesn't say, and I have the skills and the abilities. I've been working for a law. And then sports center's there watching David practice. This is how David learns to do it. They're about to have the big fight tonight. And this is how David does it. That's not what they knew. David goes to King Saul. King Saul goes, hey, let me dress you up like everybody else needs to be dressed up. And by the way, I doubt if David was like this tiny little boy. I still remember pictures of like uh, in children's books of King David kind of going around in this armor that's like five times too big. Have you seen those pictures? What kind of idiot king would put huge armor on a child and think it would help? Seriously, that's not the way it goes. Truthfully, truthfully, what most likely happens is they're roughly about the same size, and Saul was a pretty big guy. So Saul said, put my armor on. And what did David say? He didn't say, this is huge and I'm a child. That's not what he said. (laughs) What did he say? He said, I'm not used to fighting like this. Like, I don't fight using this stuff. Like, this is not how I fight. So I'm going to use my slingshot and five stones. And then he says this, because I'm a great marksman and I'm sure I can beat him from a distance. Because the tactical, no, he doesn't say that. What does he say? 
Listen, I've been in situations like this. I'm a shepherd, and, and lions and, and bears have, have, have come, and they've kind of tried to attack on the sheep that I've been, been in charge to protect. And the Lord has rescued me in those moments. And the Lord himself, Yahweh himself, will come and deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. That's what he says. So you got to catch that. He says, I'm going to defend God's honor, and God is going to hold my head and hand up. That's what he says. And he obviously wins. When David goes up against Goliath, I love this statement found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. You come against me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh. That's the, the word Lord, right? L-O-R-D. Actually, that should be all in caps. L-O-R-D of hosts, the God, that's his name. Okay, his name, Yahweh. The Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defied, and you're going down, and I'm going to cut off your head. Which I love that statement, because he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to knock you down, I'm going to cut off your head, and he doesn't have a sword. It's his way of saying, I'm going to beat you up with your own fists. You know what I mean? I'm going to shoot you with your own gun. That's what David is saying. I'm going to knock you down, I'm going to come over, I'm going to take the sword that you think you're going to use, I'm going to use it on you, and I'm going to sever this part of you from this part of you. How dare you defy the armies of the living God? And David, in that moment, demonstrates that one of the aspects, I think, obviously, of someone who is after God's heart, who is someone who is first offended, great question, it really says a lot about us what offends us and what doesn't, offends us, what doesn't offend us. I'm still deeply convicted by a statement that one of my favorite preachers, Matt Chandler, said one time when he just described his own habits of watching certain shows, and he said... And it, it embarrasses me still that I laugh at things that Jesus died for. Or I don't say, I don't speak up. Again, I'm not asking you to pick a fight with everyone that does something wrong. But I want to ask you, like, do you even get like a sense that there is broken and I just need to say something or I need to do something? David did. Someone after God's own heart is someone who is offended and willing to defend God's honor. Now, we're New Testament we're followers of Jesus, so we're going to defend it like Jesus would, not like David would. But it, the offense and the defense, the offense and the defense is still there nonetheless. We're just going to do it like Jesus, the better king. Next thing that we actually see is that in, in, in Saul's life, one of the biggest mistakes he made was he just he couldn't trust in God's timing. There's a great story that happens three different times. Saul makes some serious mistakes, and that's why God rejects him. So Saul is not this perfect king, and God goes, I like someone, he's, 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 he's better. That's not what happens. God rejects Saul because Saul rejects God. And in one of those moments, um, there is an army that is coming down upon him, and they need to offer a sacrifice quickly, and the only one who can offer a sacrifice is Samuel. And so Saul is waiting, and the armies they're about to go to war, and he's like, okay, we're Samuel, we're Samuel, we're Samuel. And he starts to panic, and I'm sure somebody says, well, I don't think it matters who does it, just get the sacrifice lit. So he lights it himself. And, and I like how the story, and then immediately Samuel appears, like mom walks in the room, right? Immediately Samuel appears, and what have you done? Like, what have you done? I just, okay, like I just did a sacrifice. Now, what you don't get, Saul, is this has nothing to do with this. This has everything to do with this. Like, you really don't, you really believe that, like, this is like a ritual sacrifice that's going to magically make God do stuff for you. Like, that's what's wrong with your heart. Like, you think you can do anything you want, and then kind of afterwards, hey, God, by the way, here's what I've decided to do. Will you bless it? By the way, that's, that's what's wrong with a lot of marriages. 
We don't think through the engagement and the courting process, and then we make some serious mistakes and ask God to bless it. And by the way, he still does. It's amazing. That's what he did in our marriage anyway. I don't know how much Andrew and I were thinking, or at least I don't know what she was thinking. I know what I was thinking. I looked at the heart. I don't look at the outward appearance. I only look at the heart. No, I thought she was beautiful, and I love the fact that God honored that, but so many times in our lives, God, here's what I did, and why is this such a mess? Like, why aren't, you, why aren't you fixing all the things that I did? And why is it so hard? And why is my life so hard? And man, it's like, no, I'm going to make a decision and then ask God to bless it afterwards instead of trusting God's timing. So that's what got Saul into trouble. And what we're actually going to see in a very different circumstance, but under a very similar principle, David acts very different. So David is still the anointed king of Israel. We're going to move forward into 1 Samuel chapter 24 is where we're going to go. Samuel, or sorry, Saul, Samuel's dead actually. Saul is the king still, and Saul is getting very jealous because everybody's talking about how great David is and how awesome David is, and, and, and Saul begins to get very, very jealous. I, I wonder actually, the, the Bible never says that he did, but I have to wonder if he had somehow heard from someone that David had been anointed the king of Israel, that Saul, Samuel had done this. And so what does he decide to do? I'm gonna kill David. He chases him. A lot of David's life is spent on the run, as the anointed king of Israel on the run, how many times have God said to you, you are going to be the next president and CEO of Exxon, and then he said, and now I want you to work in the mailroom. The mailroom? Wait, a company that you guys like, at Google. So you're the uh, heir apparent at Google, and you gotta go work in their email room, okay? That's kind of what's going on. And you're, you're wanting to, you're wanting to walk around going, you know who's like the real next CEO, right? It's me. Can you imagine, like, just imagine being on the run? Can you imagine being mistreated and you are the one and you know this is what David is going through? And Saul is chasing David and Saul wants to kill David. Next May, we're going to go back for our third time to the, to, to the nation of Israel. I'm so excited about this in late May, and so you'll be hearing about that a little bit. One of the, my favorite places to go is this place where this happens in 1 Samuel 24. It's, it's known as En Gedi. It is a, a place where literally there is this oasis in the middle of desert. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of sand and rock, all of a sudden there are palm trees and uh, there's beautiful green grass. And literally out of um, uh, the kind of the, the, stone, the stone mountains that, that kind of leave out of Jerusalem, there's all this water. And when it falls, it seeps through all of those. And then it springs up here in this, in this area as it's going down towards the Dead Sea. It springs out and it creates this oasis. And so that's where David would go. I mean, I'm on the run from Saul. I got to go to a place. I'm not going to go sit in the desert and die. I'm going to go here. And it's a big area. And there's this complex of caves that exist up there. And David is hiding there. And as David is hiding there, guess what happens? Saul shows up. And not just Saul shows up. Saul shows up and he goes into one of those caves. And it happens to be the same cave, lots of caves. But he goes into the same cave that David's in. And not only that, but he leaves his protection, his bodyguards, his armor bearers outside of the cave. Not only that, while he's in there, he's not like reading the, you know, the caveman the hieroglyphics on the wall. He's actually going in there. The Bible actually says this. He went in there to relieve himself. So imagine a guy at a very vulnerable moment in his day without his bodyguard. And David is right there with all of his men. I don't know how close they are, but they're close enough where they realize, and can you hear his friends? Can you hear David's friends? I don't believe in a coincidence. I believe in God incidents. 
Like, there's no way that Saul just stumbled into this cave. There's no way that Saul left his bodyguard outside unless this was God's plan. There's no way that God... And they begin to try to excite David into rising up and killing Saul here and assuming his rightful place as king. Come on, David. This is your opportunity. Put the dots together. One, two, three, kill Saul. Like, it only makes sense. If you don't, I think you're being disobedient to what God is doing. Can you not see what God is doing in your life? And this is where David has a serious choice to make. He has to decide, am I going to do what I know God wants, or am I going to listen to my friends, and am I going to begin to interpret my life by the circumstances that come in front of me? Here's a great question. So do you interpret your life by the circumstances around you, or by the word of God, the spirit of God, for those of you who are followers, and the community of God. What do you do? One of our, um, I don't know where he's sitting right now, Drew Moss was, was teaching us yesterday in something. I think it was Drew. Um, it was either Drew or Scott. It was somebody really, really smart. And they were, in the, they were teaching us as life group leaders something, and one of them made this comment about going back and, and just being like faithful in their home and faithful with their wives and faithful with their children. And they made this statement, something I don't need to pray about because God has already spoken about it. That's a good point. A lot of times for those of us that are still really wondering what God wants, God, I don't know if you want me to date her. Like I know that she's a mess and I know she doesn't follow you and really wants nothing to do with you, but man, she's so, she has such a great personality. And God, I just really, really want this. I mean, that's how we are. And so God, if, if somehow... If somehow this is meant to be, will you somehow put her across my path and blah, blah, blah. And, and so we live like this, don't we? God obviously wants me to do this. Look at this. This, is, this, is just, this. this isn't a coincidence, it's God incidence. And David rises up in that moment and remembers who God is and remember what God has said. Remembers that there is a trusting in God's timing when it seems to go against what everybody is saying. And all of the circumstances of life, again, the Bible says, do not trust your own heart, trust God's word. Look at what David says, 1 Samuel 24. He says this a number of times in this text. The Lord forbid, Yahweh forbid, may God forbid that I should do such a thing to my Lord. That small Lord is meaning to, to Saul. The Lord, capital L, Lord, Yahweh, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed? How can I do this? How can I attack my Lord because my Lord has anointed him? And therefore, I know it is easy. I know that it just might even make sense. I know that it looks logical, but it's not right. Now that takes courage. That sounds like a hero. And what we see is that someone after the heart of God is someone trusting in God's timing more than their circumstances and more than selfish gain. More than their own circumstances and more than selfish gain. Well, David doesn't only have great stories. He actually has a pretty bad one. Have you heard about this? Yep. Um, it's about springtime. It's when the kings go off to war, found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. All the kings go out to war and David kind of wakes up late, kind of a warning against you people that like to sleep in. Um, God actually warns against such thing. And uh, say David, David wakes up late one day, and while all the other kings are out doing their job, David is just kind of looking at all of these places, and there she is. I knew she'd be here. 
Saw her yesterday, and so I knew to time this perfectly. There she is. Wow. And David lingered. David lusted. And then David said, bring her to me. And then David slept with her and got her pregnant. And then David was embarrassed. And then David decided, well, I know how to get out of this. I'm going to kill her husband. And then when he's dead, because, you know, this is a great plan. I'm going to kill her husband. And then when he's dead, I'll take her for myself, because that's what kings do. They're really good at taking things. I'm going to take her for myself, and I'll get her pregnant. I mean, it'll look like that, you know, just kind of the normal things the husbands and wives do. And then all of a sudden, nobody will know any different. Like, nobody will. Like, no one Okay, one will know. <laughs> Amazingly enough, probably more than one would know. He had to send somebody to her to come back. Somebody reported back the news. She didn't just walk in and go, David, guess what? I'm pregnant. Like, that's not happening. So a lot of people knew. And, and David is just not coming to grips with this. And so God does what God does so well, is that we call it the gospel of kings and prophets. And really, one of my favorites, one of my favorite ideas are that Kings seem like they have all of the power, but it's actually the prophets are the one who remind the kings, you're just a man. Like you're just a human. And I'm here to remind you from the king of kings that you're just a small K king. Don't, don't think too much of yourself. You better, you better dial it back. You better, you better slow it down. You better recognize God's covenant, God's plan, and God's purpose. And so his name was Nathan. We don't know a lot about him, but he is the prophet that walks into the king's presence to let him know you are now crossways with God. Now what's he going to do? Last time David got caught, he killed a guy. Nathan is told, you need to go do this. And there doesn't seem to be any concern in Nathan because when God tells you to do something, you don't have to fear David Yahweh's got your back. You don't need to worry about the circumstances you can go through when God tells you to do something. And Nathan walks into the king's presence and he tells him a story about a man that, uh, that just loved to take um, sheep from his neighbors because he, he had lots of sheep, but he wanted the other people's sheep. And the guy says, what, what should we do to a man like this? And David says, he's a terrible man. He should be punished. And then Nathan says, one of the most um, condemning, damning things to David. He basically says, you're that man, David. For you could have had anything and you decide that you wanted Uriah's wife and you took her and then you killed him. And God is not pleased with you. At that moment, what, Dave, what is David gonna do? And this is where we see that the complicated nature of people who are broken, who still have a heart for God, it doesn't always save them from Bathsheba. It doesn't always save them from trying to cover up. It doesn't always save us from making mistakes, does it? But you know what it does do? It rescues us from living in them forever. I love this statement that is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, so in the next chapter, chapter 12, verse 13. This is what David says. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahweh. I've sinned against the Lord. He just at that moment recognized God broke through. He recognized this has to stop here. I'm not going to just compound my mistakes. What I need to do, like a good person who follows after God, is saying, listen, I know I've made a lot of mistakes. And I'm going, well, I've made a lot of mistakes. What's the point? I'm just going to quit now. No, I've made a lot of mistakes, and I'm going to own up right now. Be a godly woman, be a godly man, have a heart after him, and own up to it. I have sinned against the Lord. See, that's what God loves. That's what God values. That's what God appreciates. 
And as a church, boy, oh boy, living on the other side of the cross, if we cannot understand this, something is broken. David writes this in Psalm 51, which is a psalm that is written um, as a response to this confrontation and David's own brokenness. And David writes this in verse 16 and 17. These are verses you should underline. First same, or, or, uh, psalm chapter 51, verses 16 and 17. David says this, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. See, that's what Saul didn't understand. It wasn't about the sacrifice. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. And you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So I know that you've made a mistake, and you're going to go to church next Sunday, and that'll make it better. I know you've made a mistake, and you're going to read your Bible, and that'll make it better. I know that what you're going to do is you're going to do 50, 50, 51 good things, wrong religion, our religion isn't we're going to do more good than bad. No. Our religion is when we recognize by God's grace and by God's prophets that somehow we have sinned, we acknowledge our sin and Jesus Christ who is righteous forgives us of our sin. David didn't have Jesus and so he just knew to confess his sin and God who is righteous would forgive his sin. And that's what it means to have a heart after God. And so don't use your mistake and don't use your failure as a reason why you can just kind of give up on your spiritual journey because it doesn't exist. You can still be a man after God's own heart. Now, one warning that I just want to kind of lift up in front of us, and that's this. So often when we describe the people of the Bible, we love to talk about all the mistakes that they've made, don't we? Well, you know what? Moses killed a guy and Noah got drunk and David committed adultery and murdered a man. We just have this long list of, of things, and, and we, we, we think that somehow, that when we live, when we write down that list, that, man, that's just, they're just like me, they're so messed up, and they just, you know, we're just being real. Like, that's how they, that's how they believe it. Now, by the way, the Bible de describes those things because they're true, because everyone has fallen. No one is able to live up to God's glorious standard. The Bible teaches that. We're not here to revel in this brokenness. I'm not here to say, hey, David made a mistake, you made a mistake, you and David. Chummy, chummy. That's not what I'm saying. Don't, so too many of us like really get David here. Um, that's still lost. It's not here in, by the way, here means in, the, in his sin. I've made a mistake. David's made a mistake. We're, we're both brothers in broken land. No. It's broken and contrite heart land that we need to move to. It's here that we should associate ourselves it's here with Noah and Moses, who work through by the grace of God. It's here through Peter in his restoration. It's here through Paul in his second chance. It is here that we find something. God doesn't revel in this. God judges this. And then God forgives this so that we can be here. This is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman after his own heart. It is someone who is broken and humbled by their sinful condition. Do you know your problem is not that you've done some bad things. Your problem is, is that you're a sinner. And you don't need a life coach. You need a savior. And you don't need tips. Um, I, I mean, someone to disciple you would be helpful. But that's not what you need. You need more than someone to disciple you. You need Jesus to be the one that you follow. Last story. David, um, in near the end of his life, it's, 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 it's truly probably my favorite story in David's life. It's actually found in 2 Samuel chapter 24. 
And it's near the very end of his life. And, and one of the things that you want to do, especially as you get older and you begin to look back, you like to look at all of your wealth. You like to look at all of your power. And what do kings, especially military kings, like to do? They like to number the armies. And that way we can know. I'm going to count up how big my army is. And that's how strong I am. And God warns against this. Be very careful. Do not count your armies. Because if you do, you're going to think there's a lot of you. And then you're going to think that's why you were strong. You're going to think that's what's protecting you. And David did it anyway. David counted up his army, and God saw this, and God was not pleased with Israel either. We don't know what caused that, but the text says God was not pleased with Israel. David did this, and God decides to judge them both. And God sends a plague, and thousands of people are dying. And David is standing on the threshing floor of Aronah, which is right on the Temple Mount. We're going next May. Have I told you about this? It's going to be so much fun. We're going to be right there on the Temple Mount. You can't see the threshing floor of Aronah. It's long gone. But the Temple Mount is right there. And David is there. And David cries out to God because he has his heart. God, David cries out to God, take me. Like, I'm the one that's done this. I, I'm, I'm the one. Take me. And God stops right there. And David recognizes God's grace and mercy. And he says, we need to set up an altar here and sacrifice. And he finds Aaronah, who's the one who owns it, Aaronah the Jebusite. And he says, I want to buy this piece of land so that I can, I can offer a sacrifice to God. And Aaronah says, you're the king. It's like, just have it, take it. You're the king. Like, what am I, how am I going to oppose you? You're the king, just take it. And David says one of the most profound statements. I want to read it. Listen to what David says in 2 Samuel 24, 24. He basically says, there's not a chance I'm taking this. I, I've done that taking thing before. David says this, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Wow, does he ever get God. I will not offer God that which costs me nothing. What's going on there? David recognizes, David understands that in order to sacrifice, in order for there to be um, a, a reconciliation, there will be a sacrifice. Someone who has God's heart is someone who is willing to sacrifice. And why is that? Is because what God is looking for is not someone who has this disconnected heart. God isn't saying, I just like people with good hearts. You need a good heart, and I want you to have a good heart. Could you please have a good heart? That's not what God is doing. What God is doing through the life of David is he is demonstrating that in David what he sees and what he wants and what he desires, and this is what you and I need to realize, and it's way more complicated than go out and do. It's do you have a heart like this? What do I mean by this? Like um, God wants people. God um, sees in David someone who shares his heart. Because God cares deeply for his honor. And God will defend his honor. He's far more patient than you and I know, but God will not be mocked, and one day he will defend his honor. You do know that, right? That's the difference between heaven and hell. I know you're all offended that God would ever send anybody to hell. You do understand like what's broken in that idea, don't you? But God will defend his honor. Will you? Like God makes it very, very clear. These are these things. I have a timing and I have a plan. You trust me in this? Because it's perfect. And I love this last one, that what we see in King David is somebody who says, um, God, you seem to really love this, not just sacrifices, but you love sacrifice. Like God, he seems to see something in God. Like God, you know what it's like to sacrifice. See, that's one of the most profound paradoxes 
that exists in the Bible is that the God of all, who made all, who can judge all and rule over all, sacrifices so that we can have peace with him. That God would send his own son, the only true king. I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. And God says, me neither. I will give. Look, I will give the greatest. I will give me fully. Need something with skin on? His name is Jesus. And he is the difference maker in all of this. So Saul, or Saul, Saul's a mistake. Or, no, not a mistake. He's not a mistake. He's a wonderful guy that got really complicated and rejected God and was punished. David, though, is our example today. And what David is, is David is this incredible example of what God um, uh, sees and, and, and rewards and desires in us. But Jesus is the one that matters the most. So you know what it's like to be disappointed when you thought you had a hero and then you find out, wow, they're less like God and they're more like you than you thought? Well, finding a true hero in Jesus means finally being satisfied when we experience, when we experience, not just learn, not just feel, when we experience that he is just like God. He's just like God. And yet he's one of us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Jesus and for what he has done and for David for pointing to him. I thank you for those failures that I have made that you've forgiven And God, I thank you in those moments where I have found myself more like David's brokenness um, in sin um, than I want to be. I thank you for the work that you have done in me and in so many others. Uh, For God, you are truly great. And it's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. Uh, We have a couple things going on right after this service. We have a thing called Table 101, which is going to be in the hub. There are going to be some students with signs um, pointing you along the way. It's kind of back in the the church by the gym. Um, it's It's just an opportunity to meet our leaders in our college ministry. If you're an undergrad student here studying at OSU, we'd love to connect you. If you're not connected in a college ministry already, we would love to to connect with you. We would love to help you connect to the church, meet some of the staff, find out more about us, and possibly even ways to serve. And so that's happening right after this. There'll be some finger foods and things like that as well. If you are out of college, maybe in your studying, uh, maybe graduate level or, or a little bit beyond in your 20s and 30s, we have a new ministry that we're really excited about that's kicking off. And there's going to be a a, a kind of a meeting in the library right after this. For those of you who want to connect and be in, a, be in a life group and find out more about this ministry and what they're doing, in fact, someone with a 2030 shirt on, stand up and show Justin, stand up, turn around, let everyone see your great shirt. Um, look, for, look for those wearing these red shirts and, and ask them about this ministry and how you can connect and be, be connected in that way. So we're thankful that you're here as always, there'll be people up front that would love to talk and continue this faith, faith not face, faith conversation. Um, other than that, have a blessed day, and we'll see you next week. Can have every part.